Amen. Amen. Don was trying to project some stuff on the study, you know, profitable, and, and that's good. We, we need to make it profitable, don't we? Yeah. Some of you like to get on tangents. That's what some of you like to do. Yeah. So we have guests here tonight, so let's be on our best behavior, all right, everyone? Well, Blake's not here, so we should be fine, right? Blake's not here. Sorry, Blake. Yeah, you know he's listening. You know that he can't, yeah, he can't stand not to be here. Yeah. All right, Isaiah 35, everyone. Isaiah 35 is where we want to go to. All right. Welcome, Josh. Yep. All right. All right, I need a volunteer to read the chapter. And it's a small chapter, so we should be able to get through it well tonight. I'll read it. Okay. I'm reading from the ESV, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who, who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Verse 7. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall long, it shall be, it shall be long to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Amen. All right, as we were reading, did anyone notice any translation variants or anything that caught your eye? As uh, Mark read from the ESV and you looked at your translation, let's. Kind of ask that question. What'd you find? Asking ninety-five for desert in verse one and then verse six, it says, um, "And the Araba will rejoice and blossom." And then in six, and streams in the Araba. Okay. The, with capital. Like Arabia, like that kind of a. It's not Arabia. It's right, but it's, is that? Do you think that's kind of like a, a, a variant? Do you have a footnote? No. What, all right, what else does people do, do, do others have for that verse? Crocus is rose in Mm-hmm. Yep, crocus is rose, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Who knows what a crocus looks like? Does anybody know what a crocus looks like? Sure. Of course you do. Beautiful. Purple flowers. Beautiful. Purple flowers. Okay. Until they fall over. <laughs> Until they fall over. <laughs> there one in our kitchen. Loomed up this way and all the heavy <laughs> crashed. Well, say so this is the issue I had like uh, two weeks ago. I really was frustrated with the ESV because I had read that night and it was like a lot of the other translations were just completely different. And um, just looking at the CSB um, and the LSB, they are. It's already starting to look like a lot of the word choices are just different from starting from the start. All right. Um, it doesn't have crocus in there. Um, and I'm just a quick scan. I'm seeing several other words in the CSB that it just—it seems, you know, a little different. It's one of the frustrating parts is knowing 
because when you read something differently, you know, you can, yeah. it kind of means something different to us. Mm-hmm. Instead of crocus, it says, uh, he's heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. Whoa, you sure you're in the right cha- chapter? Oh, man, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, you're going to get some serious variants if you, if you don't line the book and the chapter up, okay? See, it's a long day. Yeah. Wildflower. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. I don't really know whether Don, you, the Lord heard your prayers or not. You might, you might need to pray again. Oh wow! Your wife's calling you out, huh? Wow! Wow! Yeah. I heard that Clint, Chaplain Clint. Got sick after the Lord's Supper, and so his wife wanted to know, did he examine his heart? Did he take the elements unworthily? Because, you know, there's kind of a correlation in Scripture. And uh, so he assured her that that was not the case. But, uh, you know, you never know. All right, so do you feel like you have them lined up now as far as book and book and chapter and chapter? We're all good. good. It's been a long day. Yeah, because I could see that would be frustrating. All right, Evan told me this week that we get onto these tangents, and so I want to make sure that you have an opportunity. Did you see something in here that relates to? Uh, I didn't see anything, any glaring dis- differences between the uh, ESV and the NIV. Okay, nothing of significance. All right, so what's going on in this chapter? Let's let's see if we can kind of get a uh, summary of this chapter. What is uh, the prophet Isaiah describing? For the people of God. Well, the CSB study note says that this is almost like a mirror image of chapter 34. 34 is kind of the judgment, and this is more of the promise. Right. Yeah, so having heard the rebuke or the, the, the pronouncement of judgment, now the author, the prophet, gives the people some encouragement. And what else? How would you how would you classify this chapter? Hopeful. Okay, good. Hopeful. What else? How would you classify this chapter? Future. All right, future. Okay. Yes. It seems to be very eschatological. All right. Very. Remember, eschatology is the study of the end times. Um, and so this seems to be that. What are our alerts to that? What are the words in the text that let us see that this is probably future and eschatological shall be glad all right shall be seeing the deaf hearing mute speaking sure the end of verse i wish two. to be there and it should be called the way of holiness yeah in the verse two it says they will see the grandeur of the lord okay deserts bring forth life heaven yeah the, all the characteristics of peace and like, prosperity have an air of permanence to them mm-hmm. yeah what questions come out of the text what questions come out of the text? Uh, verse 8 was extremely interesting. Uh, that's the one that stood out to me. It says, The highway shall be there, and that shall be called the way of holiness. All right, cool. Got it. The unclean shall not pass over it. All right, that makes sense. It shall be to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. It's kind of like... Matthew says, that's a big fools will not wander on it. Yeah, that's a, what are you reading from? ESV. Yeah, that is a pretty significant difference. Um, yeah, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Yeah, that's a pretty different, uh, the CSB says, the unclean will not travel on it, but if, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. Mine has a note beside it. It says they should not go astray, but then it says, or if they are fools, they shall not wander in it. So, you want to see what the King James says? Let's hear. <laughs> What's the, I, I can't believe Chris hasn't given us to us already. <laughs> I was wondering if you went through it. I'll let you say it. What does the authorized version say? <laughs> it says, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. Yeah. All right, so let's first establish what is the way of holiness or the what is this 
highway. What 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 is this? Is it where um, narrow is the way, straight is the gate where um, you there be? Yeah, it's totally Jesus is what Jesus is you know, the way to salvation. I mean, we, let's we we've got to nail this down before we can even deal with this variant, this Hebrew variant. That in translation, we've got to nail down what is the way of holiness here. Well, the net actually has a capitalized. Yep. Yeah, the, the CSB ESP also does. ESP does. So does the complete Jewish. Uh, so does the complete Jewish Bible. Yeah. Right. Is this connected to Abraham? Like when seventeen one, it says, "I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless." Like, will we be blameless? Well, who is the way? Right. Jesus. Who is the the door? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Were they followers of the way? Yes, they were. Yeah, they All throughout Acts. They were called that until Antioch. Yep. When they were called Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how it's the way of it's not just the way, but it's the way of holiness. Mm-hmm. That also completely exclude everyone else except for Jesus, because he was the only one that was truly holy. And they, they, that his life and his sacrifice and the salvation that he brings, that is the way that that road that we can get on to heaven, only through him. And I kind of understood it. I mean, the ESV may not be the same translation as all, I mean, the same words as everybody else, but you know, even if they are fools, you know, I, I consider myself not you know, smart and everything, you know, obviously, but <clears throat> as long as I believe, you know, I'm going to be on that way to holiness, you know, and that's um, and for those that walk on the way, if I'm walking on that path, even if I'm not, you know, the most brilliant person, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that can walk on the path. Well, the Jewish Bible says that there's somebody guiding you on the path. Because it says a highway will be there, a way, called the way of holiness, capitalized. The unclean will not pass over it. But it will be for those whom he guides. Fools will not stray along it. And it's the idea of yeah, it's saying whom he guides, and it's capitalized. So it's the idea of the Spirit guiding you. The footnote in my Bible. I mean, after I read that, I looked down and I saw it. It says, uh, "The way of holiness only those who have been cleansed and consecrated are privileged to walk on the road of salvation that leads to Zion." Uh, the image combines a safe return from exile with a safe pilgrimage journey to Zion. All right, and then it talks about the phrase, even if they are fools, the Lord's new highway will guard even those whose natural tendency is to go astray through their own folly. But then it goes to Isaiah 53, 6, the reference, which I looked it up, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. It says, all be like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's actually that when I first read it, that's what I thought it was, you know, kind of hinting at that, you know, for those that are in Christ, even if we are fools, we are cleansed and that we are on the way. That's that's why my initial read was on it, but I wanted to see what anybody else thought. That makes sense to me. So only the redeemed could be on that road and we're being guided by God through that redemption. So the NASB that has Highway of Holiness is capitalized, I think, like you said. And then it says fools, or the unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. It's like Jesus is the highway, and we are walking with him. Uh, that's what it makes me think of. I just looked up the Hebrew for fools. It's a Hebrew. So it's a Hebrew. And it's one who despises wisdom, one who mocks and guilty, one who's poor also, and one who's less anxious. So it's very negative. Yeah, it's very negative. Yep. Like the LSB, it says, uh, it calls it, they call it, and ignorant fools will not wander on it. Uh, now, it uses highway of holiness, but I noticed that in the ESV and in the CSB, it doesn't just says way of holiness. And there's actually a couple of footnotes um, that certain reference uh, highway with uh, Isaiah 11, 16, 43, and 33, 8. Um, and I just took a quick look in the R.C. Broll, Sproul Study Bible. It's saying basically the same thing that um, the gentleman over here said, which is that God is providing a pathway, a pathway to salvation. 
But I do like that there is that contextual difference in ignorant fools will not wander on it versus, you know, even fools won't go astray. In my mind, that sounds like two totally different things. Like It is two, it is, let's be clear, it is two totally different things. And we're trying to figure it out. Well, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right. The moment you come to the realization that there is God and you follow him, you're no longer a fool. Mm-hmm. And you are on the way. So the way is Christ. Are we agreeing on that? The way is Christ. Yeah. And then what language in the text supports that? Holiness. All right. The way of holiness. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Anyone? No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. All right, good. So, again, we're just inundated with this poetic language. I mean, we just can't get away from it. No lion shall be there, no ravenous beast shall come upon it. What is the point of that verse from that from, from that Hebrew 2,700 years ago? It's a safe place. Yeah. Right. Nothing predatory. Right. I, I don't think that we grasp the degree to which we take safety in traveling from point A to point B just totally assumed. Yeah. I remember as a kid, um, we lived on a 40-acre farm, and we were surrounded by other farms, and we got to know our neighbors, and we would go over to their house, and mom and dad would play cards and stuff like that until it was way dark. And I remember the walk home, because we didn't drive, it was just easier to walk, but it was probably half a mile. And it was just so scary when it was dark. I mean, it was just terrifying, the noises. And, you know, you just race through the woods, you know, because you feel safer if you're running. You know, I'm just trying to get us in this room to grasp how encouraging it would be to have a highway to walk on where there is no fear of predators. None. No, there's no predators there. This is, this is really a safe highway. It wouldn't be any different than talking about walking the streets of New York at night. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That would be another modern day example. Um, and then the redeemed. I mean, that's giant language for us. What are the theological connotations? What are the soteriological connotations to calling us the redeemed? Yeah, yeah, we are we're bought. We're bought. And and redemption is always connected to what? Slavery. Okay. Salvation. Salvation. Slavery. What else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. What did he buy us with? Yeah, his own blood. The church of God purchased with his own blood according to the book of Acts. And Ephesians. And Ephesians. Okay. We, we, we are the redeemed and we're walking on this highway of holiness you know it's interesting you know, the prophecy you know, uses that language but I'm sure even with you always talk about like a localized fulfillment or what it meant to that audience I imagine even though the ultimate fulfillment of this hasn't come until Jesus but even for those people that were in you know, uh, exile to hear the, the Yahweh Will redeem us. Like what a you know uh, infusion of hope that that would have been to those people. You know, I think it meant a lot to them even back then. Yeah, you know, sure. So you're talking about like a, a highway without any fear of being ambushed or whatever. Also, like to be redeemed. Like we're you know we're, Grandpa grew up in you know Israel. You know Assyrians, the Babylonians, whoever it was, came and exiled us, and now we're like all the way over here in Nineveh or wherever. And we get a message from this crazy prophet, man. It's like saying these bizarre things that Yahweh is going to redeem us. I mean, that would have been like, wow. Incredibly encouraging. Absolutely. And then the very next sentence, what's it say? <clears throat> right. So, same thing or different thing? What? Yes, you're exactly right. It is it's very much so. Right. In Matthew, where does Jesus talk about that he came to give his life a ransom? Um, it's like 21, maybe, somewhere around in there. Come on, all you blue-letter Bible folks, see how fast you can find that. 
Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 2, 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So what's the ransom? Christ. Yeah. Yeah, what's up? What's... What's the ransom in a normal context? What is a ransom? It, yes, it's a payment. Yeah, it's a payment. Right? Who asked for a ransom? Bad guys. Yeah, who kidnap people and they want a ransom. They want a payment for their property. This is still happening today. Um, any cyber guys in the room? Hey, Josh, you're a cyber guy. This is happening in the cyber world all the time, isn't it? Yeah, there's more of like people's computers being hijacked or systems being knocked out, and if they don't pay them or give them something that they want, their systems fail. Right. This has happened in the banks. This has happened to all kinds of people in the industry. They they want a payment. They want they, they, uh, payment must be made. So the, the the Bible secures the ransom language here and says we've been ransomed. What, what's the logical question? And if you go down that road, you, you're going to make a theological error. Well, the logical question is, who did he pay the ransom to? Because in every other situation of ransom, what are you doing with that? You're not just putting it out in ne- Never Never Land. Right. You're paying somebody. Right. So within Christianity, I, I won't even say evangelical because that's... It, that's you know, the charismatic aspect of it, they will often communicate that the ransom was paid to the evil one, hmm. to the Satan. Okay, that's absurd, right? Yeah. I mean, that's utterly absurd, and that's the ditch that you can't go in. <clears throat> go. I was saying John Milton's Paradise Lost feeds into that, and then also Dante's Inferno, just those two cultural books. Huh. And, then, and then obviously Hollywood, you know, watching Keanu Scared Movie, they couldn't fight the devil in hell, so... I'd even say Narnia plays into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think in Narnia, though, it's not that he's paying ransom to the white witch, but to the fact that it was established in the rules of Narnia that if you committed a crime, you would have to pay the price if you were a traitor. So it's, he paid it to himself. <coughs> awesome paid it to himself, even though the white witch thought it was for her. It was to himself. The laws that he Did you know established. you were married to an, an Arnie expert? She, uh, <laughs> when she got her master's, she wrote her thesis on uh, C.S. Lewis. Oh. On the Chronicles. On the Chronicles yeah. Because they hadn't died in Romanian yet. Nobody had. So she like, did you translate all of Okay. Anyway, so a ransom has been paid to no one. <laughs> no. no. He paid to himself. He paid it to himself? To the father. Not that it's saying, but in my mind, it had to be paid, blood had to be shed. Yeah. On the Old Testament, you have the blood shed on the mercy seat, and you know that's what Christ was saying, he had to get us sent back into his father. I mean, yeah, look what he did with Abraham. He's like, you know, the second time around, he basically puts Abraham to sleep and he says, I don't need you, I will do this myself. And he walks down the middle, and he right? He makes a promise. So he's basically making a promise with himself that he will uphold. And so in my mind, that's where I kind of go to is this ransom, he's paying himself. Because he is the all the penultimate in perfection of all things good, you know, there even though he's writing the law to or paying himself, it has to be done. It's a tremendous thing when you really try to wrap, wrap your mind around that, what you're saying. Well, Hebrews 9. That he, all right, let's go there, Jack, if we're going to go there. Hebrews yeah. 9. Because Hebrews Two. 9, he yeah. plays the role yeah. of the high priest. The Where archi- are we going? The archi- Hebrews. Archi- it might be in 10. We did read together in my mind. Uh, Hebrews 9, 11 is redemption of the blood of Christ. <laughs> The books blend together in Justin's mind, so. Sorry. I can take it. Blake's not here tonight. 
Yeah, 9-11 and 12. All right. Go ahead and read, Heather. Oh, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with the hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing <coughs> eternal redemption. Yeah. All right, so what is so difficult to grasp with that? Figurative language or real language? Well, I think you have to even continue down through. All right, keep 14. reading. <clears throat> For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? Cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God. All right. So what are we trying to figure out with that language? It seems literal. His own blood. To God. To Father. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, is this not also something similar to, again, um, I think... uh, Sacrifice uh, when he sacrificed his son at the top of the before when God said, Give me sacrifice. And he'll, God's, uh, he'll provide his own lamb. Yeah. Yeah. Is this not something similar? It when is. Christ is his blood, just like my son is of my blood. Yeah, and, and this, and then this, this is the. See, Hebrews is all about him mm-hmm. being the greatest high priest. So this is where it really emphasizes him fulfilling the role of high priest. Mm-hmm. If some 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 passages really focus in on him as king. This one really focuses on him as priest, and this is where he fulfills his priestly duties, and and offers his own blood, and it it is the final day of atonement. There will never be another one because it eradicated the need for atonement forever, as long as you accept Christ. Verse 24 is kind of even more figurative because it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, a representation of the true sanctuary, but in the heaven itself and the outward in God's presence for us. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's where he's a mediator. Right. So, what do theologians struggle with with this passage? What do you think the disagreements are in this passage? You should kind of be able to figure them out. What else? Is Jesus grabbing a container of blood and taking it to heaven? No. No? No, I'm lost. Well, in the beginning of the text, it says that by his blood. And he took it to where? But figure, but but physically, he still bears marks. Sure. Of the cross. Right. So, what kind? That. What do you think, Jack? How would you explain it to your seniors? I would say that this is um, figurative language, in the aspect that when he shed his blood, and he and he gave on the cross the utterances into. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Right. And he gave up the ghost. When he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, proving that his sacrifice was accepted by God. And then when he ascended, and we can assume that in that 50 days there was time periods of him being before the Lord, being before Yahweh invisible. That he appeared before him in this passage. And full acceptance was done in the presence of all in heaven showing that he had all authority in heaven and earth. So when you read, um, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. How would you understand he entered the most holy place once for all, all time? There's nothing more holy than God's presence. Right. Yeah, I think the problem. I go back to Isaiah. Didn't he go both as sacrifice, both as the lamb and the priest, which in the past the priest carried 
went into the holies of holies with the sacrifice, but here he's both the lamb and the priest. Travis, I'm just curious on uh, when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and then he was resurrected and he breathed on them. Yep. He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering if there's anything going on there that too, but that might just be a completely different conversation. This is incredible language, right? Well, it's, it's interesting, Pastor, from chapter 10, where it talks about, and like verse number 11, where it talks about a priest has to day by day by day offer and offer and offer, but Jesus just sits down. Right. Because it's already done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One temple veil ripped. Sure. Because it was no longer needed. Right. And it shows that the way to God has been open for all of us. Sure. And so by his blood, because it was the perfect sacrifice, he he made the way open to all of us by entering first into the presence of God, the most holy place, and presenting himself as the sacrifice that's been accepted. And now he's the mediator. I mean, what happens? We got a glimpse of it when when Satan was accusing the high priest of Israel, or who is supposed to be the high priest of Israel, and they have that vision where he's standing in dirty rags, and Christ inter, or Christ intervenes and has him robed in white, and it's a it's a it's a foreshadowing of how he intervenes for us daily when we're accused. This is why John says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's why Isaiah said we have a mediator, and that's why high priest is being described here as a mediator. Sure. I wonder what it was like, and my mind right now is going to the uh, going back to the woman at the well, like post Christ's crucifixion, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit goes out to the people in Samaria that gave their life to that chose to follow Christ. Did they get the Holy Spirit at that moment? Right, like when he. And the Holy Spirit is released onto the earth. The Sumerian people that basically chose to follow Christ at that time and believe in Him, are they given the Holy Spirit at that time? I mean, it's it's released to all people that have chosen to follow Christ. And so I just, in my mind, I think that, yes, when it's given out in Acts onto the earth, that they receive it in Samaria even. And I can only imagine being that individual, sitting in Samaria, waiting for this, being told, not on this temple, not in this mountain, not here, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, there's coming a day where you won't, you won't have to go to Jerusalem. And I'm sitting there, and Christ is crucified, and then finally an act is released. And I just come back to that woman at the well. Did she have that moment where the Spirit fell upon her as well? All the people that chose to believe in Christ in Samaria? I don't know about that, Justin, because yeah, no, that's, that's, I'm asking. in the end of Acts, somewhere <clears throat> in, around the Acts, he meets these people that have yet to have an encounter with the Holy Acts Spirit. 20. Acts 8. No, I think you're talking about Acts 20. No, this is later. Yeah, it's Acts 20. Because they haven't, they've only heard of John. Right. Yeah. Where is that? They said they haven't even heard about this Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Where are you at? 19 or 20. Yeah, Paul in Ephesus. Yes, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We're in Acts 19, everyone. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Got it. So they would have had to go back to... I don't know. I I mean, you're dealing with an unknown, but it's an interesting question. That, But in this situation... They have not received the Holy Spirit. Yep. And I guess, well, the, the whole point I was trying to make is to Dr. Farmer's point, though, is just that's a beautiful thing, right? Whatever happened to those people that were tired of dry, are going, walking on this highway, 
scared of lions and robbers and thieves having to go to Jerusalem every year, or the Sumerians that felt like this, we can't, we're not allowed to worship here. And then finally, you receive this Holy Spirit, and it just, uh, again, sometimes we take things for granted. Going back to the language of uh, being redeemed and being ransomed, which I think how we got down this rabbit trail, yeah, I think that when you compare Christianity to other religions, you know, all the other religions, not that I'm a religious expert, but, you know, they, they would, you know, say if you want to be right, if you want to be good, you're going to have to work. You're, you're, you're not doing enough. And Christianity is like, as far as I'm tracking, the only one that the, the deity, you know, you know, identifies that the humans have fallen short, they must be punished, but yet he takes that punishment upon himself yeah. to redeem the people that he created. It's yeah. a truly amazing and unique thing that is unlike any other message out there. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Josh, today, because today I was with my ninth graders, and I was really um, pushing them towards, do you believe? Have you trusted Christ? And I was using illustrations and I was taking them right to that moment of invitation without the sinner's prayer. You know, just, just taking them right to the very edge and then just leaving them there. Um, but one of the points I made was your exact point. I said, when you go to college, your, your professor is going to attempt to tell you that all religions are the same. They're trying to get bad people to be good in order to get to heaven. And I said, you need to understand that that is absurdly wrong. That, that Christianity is unique from every other world religion, Hindu, Islam, Buddhist, but it doesn't matter. They're all different. Our God died for our sins yeah. Yeah. to redeem us, to save us. This is, nobody else, a, a Buddhist has no hope in this. A Muslim has no hope in this. Orthodox Judaism has no hope in this. Nobody else has anything like this. Uh, and almost all of them say, die for your God. Mm-hmm. And ours says, live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the world that you live in, those that you interact with, guys in your platoon and and even just everywhere, they don't understand the gospel. It's interesting you break that up because another story I have, a little anecdote, is years ago, before I was married, I went backpacking with one of my army buddies. We were going out to the mountains and he knew I was a Christian. He was not. And somewhere we were in the same car driving out there. He said, well, what makes you think that you're better because you're a Christian? It was an honest question. He yeah. wasn't trying to nitpick. And I was like, bro, I said, you're coming out from the wrong perspective. Yeah. You know, I'm a Christian. I do not think I'm better. Matter of fact, I think I'm worse than everybody else. And the only thing that makes me good at all is the grace of God and the sacrifice that he made for me. You know, it just goes to your point that people don't understand what Christianity actually really means. But you know, when you get to the heart of it, it's a, well, how many churches are still preaching the gospel? The true gospel, the true death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, the glorious, the most glorious words in your New Testament are, in your Bible are, Christ died for your sins. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll, I'll just take a, I'll take a second to tell you, um, I am very thankful for first class at this church. Um, it has brought me to, my wife and I both, to a higher standard than any church that we've had. We, we told uh, the, uh, several others that were at our first class, like, who goes to a seven-hour event all day to join the church? This is ridiculous. And we went, and we absolutely loved it. But you had in the law, in the books, like, hey, this is why the Lord's Supper is important. And for my entire Christian life, it was just show up Sunday. Oh, by the way, we're doing Lord's Supper. You know, let's break the bread and the wine. This was the first Lord's Supper that I felt like I wanted to sanctify myself like three days prior. And I spent the week making sure that I was trying to pray trying to do things to become a little bit more in the presence of what was getting ready to take place. Um, and the fellowship that we had was just nothing short of amazing. Yes. Christians and the churches today are, it's a watered down and it's concerning. We need to be praying for our fellow churches. Um, so, yeah, it's we're not in a good place <laughs> as far as churches go. That was just on the recording. Can you use that? No, we can't use that. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. So ransom. Can you say that again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ransom, redeemed, highway of holiness. So this is all incredible language to describe who we are, where we are, and then, and then what what goes on? It, what continues? 
and the redeemed Lord will return and come to Zion. And who can remember singing this as a kid? This is an incredible song. I grew up singing this song. Come with singing uh, unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon the... Isn't that about right on the theme? And we would just sing the pieces out of this. Uh, Deborah, I know your smile was like you were... like. It was, that was a miserable attempt at getting it right. I know that. I saw that. I, I've been, she teaches voice lessons. I know she does. Right. But I was told many years ago that there's no hope. Okay? So don't waste your money. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. There's not enough respect of your elders in this church. I'll tell you. So you sing it, sister. Oh, I, 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 uh, I resigned from the last thing we did with the Twilight Zone. With the Twilight Zone? Um. But you know, you think about this passage here and kind of what Josh has been saying about the presence of the Lord and just when you get connected to it. This is the kind of connection here when, you know, when the days where you feel like alone even when people are around. And, you know, those times where you're at home, even though the family's there, but you're really alone, and you just turn off the lights in a room, and you begin praying, and it's the presence of the Lord that finally brings you out of the funk, because no human can do it. And it's only Him that can. This, this is it. When it's Him that only that can lift our soul. Okay, well, since I had said pitiful thing, let's see if I can do better for you guys. Right. I need one of those, cor- um, cor- what's it called? Boxes, what? Kar- karaoke boxes? Yeah. Or just a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> Why is it not playing? Here we go. Oh, this is not it. <laughs> we got some IT up over here. I don't know Anyway, it's a wonderful song. I'm going to get Jonathan to get it incorporated into our. John can sing it. This is the did you get it, Don? Listen. God redeemed of the Lord chapter and come the same unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their face. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Listen to the language. And mourning shall flee away. The redeemed of the Lord shall return. Come and sing. Hey, folks, that's our hope. Amen. You understand? That's what we live for. Never, you could have done that. <laughs> I actually didn't really know the song. How many of you know that song? No. Never sung it. Oh my goodness. Really? Just one time? Man, I, I was just so thankful. My dad got saved when I was in second, third grade, somewhere around there. And we just got inundated with so many good scriptural songs. Um, and those just instantly come to your mind. That's exactly what you're talking about, Jack. Yeah. Is these moments of time when you just feel so utterly despondent. And it feels so dark and you need a reminder. Our life on this earth is but for a moment. It is just a moment. And this is what the redeemed of the Lord are promised. 
And, and this is what we celebrate. This is what pulls us out of these valleys that seem so deep and dark. Caleb. Well, and it gets into chapter 36. Jerry, can you turn the air down? It's warm in here. It's right behind your head. Go ahead. I mean, they're living in the shadow of chapter 26 when they're about to be invaded. Yep. And they, they know what's coming because they hear the stories of Sennacherib invading and ransacking all the other countries. And so they're living in the shadow of what they know is coming. And so this would have been even more but encouraging than coming. what they know is coming. Yeah. Because they've already been there once and they paid them off to leave. Yeah. Go back to verse 4, everyone. Because we skipped right over that, unfortunately. And it has um, just two really important um, pointers. Um, who can read verse 4? Chapter 35 of Isaiah. Isaiah starts with an I. Reading from Nancy. Say to those who, with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Yeah, so both of those two lines right there. Here is your God, vengeance is coming, and then recompense. Both of those are New Testament verses. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, maybe maybe verse 7, somewhere around there. And then the second one is in Revelation 22. Second Thessalonians what? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I think verse 7 or 8, somewhere around there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, Yep. Mm -hmm. Just start a little bit earlier, though, because it's when Paul, I mean, is the master of run on sentences. (laughs) Yeah. Start around verse five. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to replace with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So so what, what, what is so important about taking a moment and running to the New Testament and seeing such a clear parallel? Why is that important? Well, in the Old Testament, we could say, well, he, this was just to Israel. It wasn't to us. Right. Yeah, good. What else? Same God. Okay. Anybody else? Demonstrates continuity. Yeah, yeah, that's so important, Evan. That is so important. So important. The continuity piece. Is this Christian religion, is it just a fabrication of a group of men in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, or is it grounded on a foundation that is deep and wide? You know, and we have a foundation of 39 Old Testament books, you know, written in a totally different language, people groups, and here's Paul just reaching back and grabbing that and applying it in such a specific way to the return of Christ. It's been over 1,400 years. Right. Speaking of that, when I read verses 5 and 6, I thought about Jesus' answer when John sent the disciples and said, Are you the one? And he says the same thing. Tell them what you see, that the blind see, the deaf hear. Um, That's the same answer he gave to the disciples to go back and tell John the Baptist. To give him assurance of, of the fulfillment. And then the the recompense. What is recompense? What what is recompense? What translations do we have besides recompense? Mighty is retribution. Retribution. Anybody else? Vengeance. Vengeance. No, I'm sorry. Retribution. Okay. Retribution. Yeah. Jack, what translation are you using? ESV. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, we have this parallel promise. Let's see it together. Revelation 22. It's verse 12. 
Look, the CSB writes, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay to each person according to his work. That, that, is, um, that is really interesting language. Because there's an element of proportionality there. And why is that important? Why is proportionality important? Why do we care about an element of proportionality being there? Those who are faithful in the least will be bad. Reward with much. Yep. What else? Why would they make him a liar if it wasn't? Okay. How so, Jack? Because in his teaching, he made a comment that it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum, because if he had done the works in Sodom and Gomorrah that he had done in Capernaum. They would have repented. Sure. But Capernaum was not repenting, even though the Messiah was walking through its streets. In other words, they're going to have a harsher judgment. And that's what he was saying. They're going to have a harsher judgment because they actually saw the Messiah and they rejected him. But this would be written directly to the Christians, though, in Asia Minor, mm-hmm. correct? So yep. these would be referring to those who are redeemed, not those who didn't believe. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. So different levels of reward as opposed to punishment. I don't know. My note again in Revelation 12 was I changed the word recompense to reward. Say that again. You did? Well, I I wrote a note about the word recompense and I wrote the word reward. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly that would also be the Haywood Stubble passage. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work, is how the CSV, CSB translates it. Um, I was thinking of, you know, crowns. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody wise than me can also uh, provide insight, but the, even Revelation's written in Greek, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is Revelation. Right? So we have the Septuagint too, again, that they're drawing from, which is Hebrew, and now you have the Greek language, which I'm pretty sure was more vast in its word choice. uses this choice, and I'm pretty sure if we did the analysis, it's going to be, again, hyperlinked back. He's specifically drawing from um, Old and, Testament and language. And Justice, Justin, do you know how to do that? On the Blue Letter Bible? Yeah. 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 It's just hard to do um, when you don't have internet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Somebody here. Sorry. All right. Do you want to do one? I got it open. No. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about going back to the Septuagint. Which is everyone should in this room should know what it is. Yes, yeah, the Greek Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, and what are we looking for? To see if the words are the same. Yeah, to see if the words are the same. That's what we're looking for. We want to see how much continuity is there, right? How much continuity is there? But it seems like chapter thirty-five is an incredible eschatological promise of what? More than that, though. Not just his redemption. What? In its totality. Is this not the eternal kingdom? Yeah, coming promise. Yeah, is this not the eternal kingdom? Yeah, this is... I mean, the first three verses are all describing amazing descriptions of everything that you can imagine. The best rose garden in the world or whatever flower, wildflower you want or whatever your translation says, it doesn't matter. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wild flower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy in singing. Okay. What has been removed? What has been removed for this desert to do what it's doing? Yes, exactly, Chris. The curse. And is it in Romans or where Paul talks about the creation groaning Romans 10 I think Romans 10 where the creation groans to be 
released from the curse. Yeah, Romans 1. Even creation grows to be redeemed. Yeah. I'm look anybody else looking with me or am I looking by uh, myself? Romans 820. No, no. No, eight, is it eight? Uh, 822. Yeah, 822, that creation has been groaning. Yeah, this is an incredible verse. Romans 822. Well, let's back it up for a little bit more. Uh, 18. Romans 8, verse 18. <laughs> Beautiful verse. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, which is really hard to grasp if we're honest. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. What a verse. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Now just stop and think about that. that. This is language that is nearly impossible, if we're honest, to conceive of. Because he is personifying rocks and mountains and trees and dirt. That's what he's doing here. He's personifying it. And, and he's describing creation before and creation after the curse. And it, it had to have been remarkably different. So to give you like a crazy wild example, just this is like a bizarre example, an over-the-top one. You get to climb in a tree that the limbs will make sure that when you fall, you get caught. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you an over-the-top difference. So prior to creation, and I, I don't know this to be the case, but I'm just trying to give you like a, a, an illustration of this. That the creation knows that you're climbing in the tree and you might slip and it's ready to catch you and keep you from falling. And then the, the creation is cursed and now the limbs are, they, they, they're helpless to help you anymore. They, they've been cursed. They can no longer help you. And they're anxiously waiting for a day when the sons of God can climb in the trees and they can keep you from falling. Now, now I'm pushing an illustration right now, everyone, to, to try to get you to grasp creation pre-fall and creation post-new creation. You see the difference there. Uh, because the verse says, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it. So this is the divine punishment of the sovereign God in hope that the creation itself will also be fret free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. In verse 23, so are we. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first proofs, we also groan with ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So this is the incredible... Uh, disconnect between post and pre and the redemption that God's going to provide. Isaiah 55, um, he's talking about um, letting shall, um, my, my word will go out, um, that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing to which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees in the field shall clap their hands. Mm -hmm. So it's the same song. Yeah. That is another song. That is another song. That's another great song. Yeah. yeah. And if we had more time, I would sing it for you, but we're out of time. So I'm sorry. I, I think uh, I don't want to miss the connection between um, the way of holiness and then Isaiah 40, which then is quoted by John the Baptist when it says, yep. the voice cries in the wilderness. 
prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the desert a highway for our God. So when we get to 40, we need to make sure we go back and look at 35 and make the parallel. All right, go get your children.